From Labradoodles to Cronuts, the world loves a hybrid. So today, businesses are taking a smarter hybrid cloud approach using the tools, platform, and expertise of IBM. The world is going hybrid with IBM. Visit ibm.com slash hybrid cloud. It kind of does. It does. In a, in a sense, Randy, welcome to View from the Cheap Seats. Uh, today is a going home for us, a homecoming of sorts. As we interview uh, one of our childhood heroes, a voice that was the soundtrack to many major sporting events in our lives as we grew up. World Series, Olympics, Olympics NFL, boxing, you name it, horse later, racing. Later, later with Bob Costas. We get a chance to sit down and have a full breath discussion. And we never even talked about the fact that it, that he was married to a kindergarten teacher from I our know. school. So uh, it's an amazing conversation that we get to have with, with a, truly a Hall of Fame uh, sports announcer, one of the best top of the heap, Bob Costas, today, and a fellow St. Louis. And I even though I'd he's say from New as York, a broadcaster, entertainer, and host of all things, like if Bob Costas did the news. I'd be I'm, like, yep. I'd be like, yeah. I'd buy it. He's one of those guys that kind of almost like a less crass Cosell. I put him in the in the category of Cosell. He prides himself and always has on amazing elocution, uh, tremendous research, vocabulary, knowing his stuff and being well read and being up on and it. being funny. So he has he has a great sense of humor and so knowledge. We sit about down it. and air it out with him, which I'm very excited about. And then later on the show, I guess he found out we're talking to Bob Costas. Steven Seagal. He wants to. He's got some Olympic-style things he wants us to get into. Who knows? Top of the show, though, we want to do a quick take about something because this past week in the world of basketball, and I'm sure Bob Costa has been watching this, but there have been a ridiculous amount of more fights. Fights and intensity in, which to us is surprising, but we say is a good sign because a lot of people have said, first of all, about the fighting, the fight the fight that happened at the Clippers game. There were multiple Clippers, the Rockets. Field. The fact that, like, after the game, uh, some of the Rockets, James Harden, who didn't play in the game because he was injured, tried to get into the Trevor Clippers. Trevor tried to get into the Clippers locker room to, like, start a fight in there. And then you had a Flalo throwing punches on the court uh, a night later. You have a lot of fighting going on on the court. And some people are saying, oh, it's the breakdown of basketball, Randy. They're it's saying terrible for the game. The game, the players have gotten out of control. Well, you know what? I say, I say this is great for the game of basketball. Why? We're at the midpoint of the NBA season. A long season. And a season that a lot of people say. I can tell you right now, Jay, this season, I can tell you right now as we sit here, the Golden State Warriors will win the NBA championship. Probably. I'm not going to disagree with you. The playoffs last year in basketball were a joke. And they were upsetting. They the were fact up- that, I mean, look, Cleveland won every game. Cleveland won every game except, except one, one until they got into the finals. Golden and then State they lost bl- every game except one. Except one. Golden State blew through it and only lost one game in the entire thing. That, to me, is not a competitive playoff. Even as we sit here with the NFL about to happen, the uh, playoffs this weekend, the fact that, you know, you've got – Three backup, essentially three backup level quarterbacks. And then the, the greatest, greatest quarterback, quarterback of all time. time. I can tell you that probably Tom Brady is going to get through. And probably New England will win, okay, based on who's there. I don't think this is the best Eagles team that they're putting out there. I think the Vikings are great, and they look like they were touched by but an angel. But it took a miracle for it them to get took a miracle there. for them to beat someone on their home turf. And if the Vikings play, I actually think will be the most interesting because it'll be, be like a home, home game for them. So that would be if the Vikings wind up playing the New England Patriots. And who knows, maybe Jacksonville wins. We don't know. But I'm saying it's not that baseball has been exciting. 
baseball, the playoffs have been unbelievable, and the World Series the last two years have been incredible. Basketball, at the end of the season, we kind of know who's standing. So why is this important and significant that players are fighting each other in the middle of the season? I'm going to tell you why. Because the knock on the NBA used to be, save it for the playoffs. Just muddle through. There was that joke in the movie Airplane, where the kid comes up to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and says, you don't really play defense except for during the playoffs. Or and then he grabs the kid and he's like, the hell I don't. don't. Tell your old man uh, I to drag, drag Walt in the near up and down the court for 48 minutes. Uh, look, the point is, we are in the middle of a long NBA season, and players are fired up. It's fun to see these guys feel the feels, to feel to see people just literally so emotional about stuff that to they have to fight for rebounds, mm-hmm. to fight for a victory, to have pride in their work, to want to win so badly that they're going to get upset about calls, to want to take it out on other players, to have players standing on the bench cheering. I mean, I'm like, it's got the energy and the spirit. The NBA right now has the energy and the spirit of the NCAA tournament, and it's the middle of the season. If you're an NBA fan, you got to be excited about this. Yes, I don't love the the example that it's setting for little kids, the physical fighting, but you know what? I think the passion is there, and that's the best thing right now that's going on for the NBA. Exactly. And it's I positive, would, Randy. And, and I would say this, even though we know who's going to win the NBA championship right now, even though we know, if you're uh, if you're a team that's like if you're if you're in Minnesota and you're a Timberwolves fan, even if you're a Lakers fan, you got and your team is in last place, you still have hope. There's a lot of hope. There's hope is springing in Philadelphia. Certainly, hope is in uh, Boston. Hope is in. Toronto. Hope is, I think there's even, there's hope in Denver. So there's hope all over the place. Yep. And so I think the league is in the best shape possible. And the fighting right now tells us that guys. Fighting for their spots. Guys care. And that's a good thing. When we come back, we're going to talk to someone who cares so deeply and is so passionate about sports. You will see it and hear it in the interview. The great Bob Costas joins us. This is City Music. City Music. Kevin Morby. We are the Sclavros. This is View from the Cheap Seats. Hey, everybody, it's Elaine Welteroth, and I'm hosting a new podcast called Built to Last by American Express, where we will dive deep into the stories, history, and continued legacy of small businesses that shape American culture. Our debut season will focus on Black-owned small businesses that need our support now more than ever. In each episode, we feature the story of a Black business trailblazer that has inspired a modern Black-owned business. First up is Pinky Cole of Atlanta's food truck turned restaurant, Saleti Vegan. We'll also chat with Hanifa Muemba, the cutting edge designer behind the Hanifa 3D digital fashion show. Plus, we'll check in with Issa Rae, our modern day renaissance woman. We hope that it encourages all of our listeners to support these businesses as well as the black owned businesses in your own communities. Tune in for these amazing stories and others on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from CDW and Dell Technologies. At CDWG, we get that migrating your agency to a hyper-converged infrastructure is challenging. Like me switching to decaf. Gotta do it, don't wanna do it, but gotta do it. Whoa, slow down, friend. CDWG's experts can help simplify your transition from legacy to hyper-converged infrastructure with Dell EMC solutions that offer speed and agility. Do it, do it. Have you done it? Is it done yet? Why isn't it done yet? IT orchestration by CDWG. People who get it. Find out more at cdwg.com slash Dell EMC. Yes, gentlemen. Hello, Mr. Costas. Thank you for taking this call. 
Uh, it's probably against my better judgment, but nonetheless, when a man makes a commitment, he must follow through. And that's what we love about you is that you do honor your commitments in the best possible way. You answer the call. You answer the call when it's asked to be. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, we are so happy to have you and, and just talk. There, there's so much ground we want to cover uh, and, and, and talk about stuff with you and your past and your connection to St. Louis as ours is very uh, tight as well. Uh, but yep. and then and then talk about stuff that's currently going on. Can I just say briefly how excited I am that you are calling MLB games as part of MLB Network? How fun is that? It's been fun since the start, and I think it's going to be even more fun going forward because I'll be able to focus on it more. Right. Uh, I've gone back and listened to tapes from the 1980s when I was paired with Tony Kubek. Yeah. And then in the 90s with Bob Uecker and Joe Morgan. Mm-hmm. And although the broadcasts with MLB Network have been, I think, being as objective as I can, they've been pretty good, sometimes very good. They haven't been consistently as good as the broadcast from earlier. And I think it's because I haven't been able to focus on it quite as much with all the other obligations that I had. I still love the game every bit as much and still felt just as excited and engaged walking into the booth to do the broadcast. But I think I can kick it up a notch uh, over the next several years, and that's what I'm looking forward to doing. I'm not interested anymore in inventory. Uh, I've done just about everything that Everything. I could possibly dream of doing in sports broadcasting. Now what I want to do over the next few years, while I'm still reasonably capable, mm-hmm. is to do the things that I've always enjoyed the most and that mean the most to me. Of course. Well, baseball, we know, is a big love of yours. I mean, for Randy and I, I will say, we have listened to your eulogy of Stan Musial multiple times. Uh, I was actually super surprised to learn that you knew him a little bit, but you weren't super close. And yet that speech was amazingly emotional for you. And it became emotional for us too, just listening. Uh, Tell us about that a little bit, because that was a very special moment. Yeah. You know, I knew Stan fairly well, but Stan was so friendly to everyone. Mm -hmm. He probably had literally thousands of people who could say that they were friends with Stan Musial. Right. But I interacted with him both at public events in and around baseball and at social occasions. He was at my home for dinner and uh, one of his daughters was a classmate of my wife's growing up. Mm-hmm. And one of his granddaughters was a classmate from kindergarten uh, through the graduation time in high school of my daughter. So I would see him at soccer games, yeah. girls basketball games and whatnot. And as I said, we were out socially with him many times, but I wouldn't say that I was one of his closest friends. So what accounted for the fact, and I asked myself this question, what accounted for the fact that I became choked up a couple of times Mm -hmm. doing Stan's eulogy when he had led a full life with fewer regrets than most of us experience? He was truly a happy person at heart and always an optimistic person and died at the age of 92. Why did I become choked up twice during that? But I was able to keep my composure during the eulogy for Mickey Mantle, mm-hmm. which was a more tragic circumstance, if that's the right word. It yeah. is the right because word. Because Mickey's own life, yeah, you know, Mickey's own life, as many high points as it had, was filled with regret and sadness. And he died at the age of just 63. I'm older now yeah. than Mickey was when he passed away. And I think the best answer I can come up with is that it was the location. When I looked out, over that, over the people in attendance in the church that day in St. Louis, 
I saw so many faces mm-hmm. and so many people, not just baseball people, but so many people who had been my friends and neighbors and big parts of my own life. And it just struck me. And I, would, I every time I made eye contact with someone who I wasn't even certain was there until that eye contact was made, I tried to look away. Uh, and there were just a couple of times when um, the connection you. between St. Louis and my own life and whatever small intersection I might have been with fans just got to me. You know, it's it's interesting because that's a great comparison. You know, you think about how hard it is to play baseball for the Yankees, to play in New York under that sort of umbrella of difficulty and that microscope and the press and all that stuff. And then you juxtapose that with St. Louis. And, you know, a lot of people say it's like going to baseball heaven. It's basically what St. Louis, the Cardinals have to lure great players to come here is come here and you'll ascend to baseball heaven. It's what you just described is that that community and that feeling here in St. Louis that certainly rallied around Stan Musial is probably the most popular player in the history of the Cardinals. Yeah, no doubt about that. And Although there's been some backlash because the notion of St. Louis as, you know, the ideal baseball town has kind of gone national and some people resent it. They think it's like humble bragging that there's some syrupy about it. And I guess any situation, any virtue, if taken too far, I guess, could be turned inside out. But if you're being fair minded and if you've experienced it and I grew up in New York. And as a broadcaster of network games over several decades, I've been to every big league city. And I think I can be reasonably objective about it. St. Louis has the best combination of passion, knowledge, Mm -hmm. and civility. The best combination. Others come close. They may have two out of the three, but they don't have all three as a 10 on a 10 scale the way St. Louis fans do. Now, there's some incivility and snarkiness seep in now because social media and the worst of talk radio is everywhere and that includes St. Louis. Yes, some. Sure. But the basic ethos in St. Louis is one of appreciation rather than <clears throat> rather than snarkiness, one of expectation, yes, but not demand. Not what's wrong with you because you didn't win the pennant this year and we're really kicked off and we, we hate you now. Right. It, it's just a different thing, and I think that's why so many players uh, have come to St. Louis to play baseball from other parts of the country or even the world and have stayed um, for the rest of their lives or a good portion of their lives after their playing careers were over. And that is a, that's why a moment like when Albert Pujols leaves for comparable money, in certainly in California that money doesn't go as far, but that's a moment where I felt like I – like like a girlfriend had left me in that moment. I remember opening the computer and seeing he was in a red hat. I'm like, looking at what ESPN is going to report. Where's he going to go? And then I realized it was the Angels and not the Cardinals. And that was like a moment of shock for me. I'm like, how could he leave in that moment? And it, because it's gone the other way so many times. And it's what you're talking about. Yeah, Albert Pujols is a surefire first ballot, near unanimous Hall of Famer. And the only reason I say not unanimous is that there are always one or two who say, well, if Babe Ruth wasn't unanimous and if Willie Mays wasn't unanimous, nobody's going to be unanimous. So no one's ever going to get 100%, but Albert will come close. And he's one of the great, great players of his generation. But he gave up the chance, and it was his choice and his right, but he gave up the chance to be – the modern-day Stan Musial. That's right. We uh, felt no the one, same way. No one perhaps, yeah, perhaps because of the romance and, and the different era 
uh, that Stan played in, maybe nobody could quite have the same hold on St. Louis's imagination that Stan did. But Albert could have come very, very close. His statue could have been next to Stan Musial's at Bush Stadium. And he gave that up. It was his right. I'm not so sure in retrospect he would say when he looks back that it was the right thing to do. What I got to ask you, just because you have called everything from boxing to the Olympics to baseball and NFL and basketball as well. I mean, you know, it's funny. We it's amazing. I don't know if you you saw the 30 for 30 about the the O.J. Simpson, the day of, you know, when the chase was happening that, that used no narration, but had that unbelievable footage of you before the cameras started rolling. I mean, take us through that for a minute. And then I, my question was, what do you enjoy calling the most? But specifically that moment for me was shocking and unbelievable to to me. The most compelling part of that whole documentary was watching how people on the fly were dealing with it. Do you remember that very clearly though, that that day and, and what you had to deal with is you're getting basically the sound probably in from the truck in your ear. I remember it very well. The murders happened on a Sunday night, mm-hmm. and the first thought is, oh, my God, even though they weren't married any longer, I knew that O.J. had been at least recently seeing Nicole, and he was part of her life. So your first thought is, oh, my God, something horrible has happened to a friend of mine and to his family. Mm-hmm. And then as the days and hours went by, it became increasingly clear that he was going to be charged with the murder. Yeah. And then – When Friday arrives, which is the day and the night of Game 5 of the Rockets against the Knicks in the NBA Finals of Mm -hmm. 1994, Mm -hmm. then he takes off. He and Cowlings are are in the Bronco, and who knows where they're going. And we find out that he's got a gun, and he's got $10,000 in cash, and I don't know if he's making a – we don't know if he's making a run for it somehow. He's got a chartered plane that's going to take him to another country. Who knows? But it's certainly not the way – an innocent man Behaves. with the resources to hire the best possible defense team acts. It just is not. And so it begins to seep in that whatever your initial reaction might have been, it is highly likely, if not certain, that he has been involved in these murders. This is before the trial, but common sense tells you that. Right. right. And you also know, if you have any sense of news, even though you know you're at a very big sports event, The country is gripped by this bizarre Shakespearean tragedy uh, that's unfolding in front of live television cameras. And now it's my job to sort of be the go-between from Tom Brokaw, who is breaking in with updates, and Marv Albert, who in his signature style is calling the action at Madison Square Garden. Mm -hmm. Now, Marv still has to call the game. That's unfolding in front of him. Right. right. But at the time, I'm in a perch at the mezzanine level, and this is before everybody has a smartphone. So a lot of the fans were sort of peering over my shoulder and gathering around this perch to look at a monitor because half the time we had the screen split, but we had the Bronco chase, if you could call it a chase, they were moving at a low Low speed, speed. in the upper right-hand quadrant with the game and the other portion of the screen. And some of the fans were in the corridors where – there were television monitors above the concession stands. So a huge portion of the country's attention and even a portion of those in attendance at the game, their attention was split between OJ and Patrick Ewing and 
Hakeem Olajuwon. And it was a strange juxtaposition to have to throw it to Tom Brokaw, mm -hmm. digest what he had to say, and then, while giving it, I hope, the proper attention and the appropriate tone, then send it back to Marv Albert and all the excitement and, and the noise and the hoopla surrounding a big sports event. That was a, an unusual tightrope to walk. I mean, the, the only other example I can give is when Howard Cosell announced that John Lennon had been shot on Monday Night Football. I mean, that was, but this was unfolding in real time as you guys are there on the air. Yeah, and as significant as that was, uh, the murder of John Lennon, as you said, um, it was not, it, it had happened. Right. People began to gather outside the Dakota mm -hmm. uh, along Central Park West where John Lennon lived. So there was an ongoing story in terms of the response, but it had happened. And Cosell had more news judgment and news sense than his colleagues in the booth. So it fell to him um, not only to relay the news, but to put some sort of perspective to it and to say, even though some football fans might not have appreciated it at the time, to say that what I'm about to tell you and what is unfolding in New York will be long remembered after the outcome of this game is forgotten. Yep. Um, you know, sometimes Howard could go a little bit overboard, but there were times when he could really hit the nail on the head because he had he had a sense of story and a sense of drama um, that was better than most people's, at least when he was at his best. Well, I first of all, you know, I agree with that, and I and I think that Howard, in his heart, just knowing sort of his story, that he always wanted to be. Be more than just a sportscaster, be report the news and be, you know, have the gravitas, which he often had. You know, very few sportscasters have been able to cross over and be able to do, for example, like you did a show like later to be able to do a show where you're doing an interview show That's that doesn't always have to be sports. sports. And, you know, it's so interesting because we talk about athletes like it's never good to check your box score during the game or to look back on all the things that you've done. But that was for us as people who have done comedy and, and incorporate with sports to be able to pull off a show like that for you, in our opinion, was a tremendous feat that I don't know if a lot of people quite understand how difficult that was. Well, once I got the hang of it and once I got comfortable and once people who were potential guests became familiar with the show. And so the bookings became consistently excellent because you needed to have a body of work. Now and then, did we just have to have a guest for Tuesday night? It was kind of forgettable. Yeah, that's unavoidable when you're on four out of five nights a week. We weren't on on Fridays, Monday through Thursday. But eventually, once we've been on for a few months, then it started to be Bob Seger one night, Mary Tyler Moore the next night, Smokey Robinson the night after that, Amazing. Hank Aaron the night after that, Martin Scorsese yeah. the following. And so I liked talking to people who had a body of work and there was something more substantive than, you know, what's your latest record or what's your latest sitcom uh, that you're going to be on. Uh, this wasn't entertainment tonight. It wasn't the sort of soundbite thing that we generally see. So once I got the hang of it, I was very comfortable doing it. And as I look back on it, um, I don't know how significant in retrospect my career is, but from my standpoint, if you ask me to put three or four things in a time capsule that no one probably except my grandchildren would care about. <laughs> but uh, late, later would, would certainly be among them. I, I, I'm proud of that. It was great. And you guys, you did win an Emmy for it in 93. Was that, uh, is that the, am I getting that right? Yeah, we were nominated uh, for an Emmy um, each of the last two years of the show, and we won it the last year. And 
I don't regret walking away from the show because my kids, who are now adults, right. 31 and 28, but at, at that time, they were little kids. Mm-hmm. And something had to come off uh, the menu for me. Mm-hmm. And we had just reacquired a piece of baseball. We had the NBA, and it was a wonderful era in the NBA. I had stepped aside after the 93 season, or maybe it was 92, from being the full-time host of the NFL show. Right. But I just felt I had to tear some stuff back and to do later as well as it should be done and to do all the preparation and whatnot uh, was so time-consuming. And I was commuting between New York and St. Louis and then wherever the sporting events took me. It's too much. So, it's too uh, much. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was too much. And I felt that you know we'd, we'd established a certain standard that we could look back on and be proud of. And we are, you know, more than like a quarter century almost uh, since we did the last one. That's right. And when I say we, I mean the researchers, the producers, they were all wonderful and they put their hearts into it. And sometimes we get together. Not, not all of us like a reunion, but I see some of these people. That's great. And, and it's a, it, it's, it's a touchstone for us. We, we look back on it with pride. Uh, we laugh and reminisce about some of the best guests and some of the best moments. And so, I guess I guess I left on on a high point, but it's the kind of thing that I miss doing the long form interview. Yes. You know, when you sit down with someone uh, for an interview that's going to run on a pregame show on a Sunday night, it's nothing against anybody. It could be the biggest star in the NFL. You talk to the person for 10 minutes. They edit it down to two minutes and 45 seconds. You're leaving a lot out there. You don't get to the, that's, that's why podcasting is so fun for us and why, you know, this interview right. in particular, it's, it's such a wonderful thing to be able to stretch out and be able to talk to you. We get it. What, where did you interview Vince McMahon that, that got heated? Was that on HBO? No, that was on HBO. I think it was the first season of the HBO show in 2001 or early 2002. I've watched that several times and I can't tell I mean, there was a great moment where I felt like he kind of puffed up and you didn't back down. It was it was super interesting. Mm. And I couldn't tell if he was being a showman or if he was really genuinely angry. I believe that there's both. An, both. You think it was both? Both. It was. First of all, it was live. Yeah. Uh, and it's HBO. So there's no commercials. And we scheduled it for like 15, 16 minutes. But Ross Greenberg, the executive producer, is in my ear. And he knew, as everybody knew, that this was great live television. And he said, keep on going. And so I did. I think Vince was absolutely angry. He was truly angry. He himself has said that. He stormed off the set, slammed the door behind him. And the very next guest, ironically enough, was Bob Knight. And I opened by saying to Bob, and the only thing in between Vince and Bob was just a little bumper, like a 30-second promo for the next week's show because there are no commercials on HBO. And I said to Coach Knight, this is the one and only time that you entering a room has ever lowered its temperature. That that was was the reality. But what, what Vince was doing, in my mind, not just looking back on it, but as it was happening, I knew he was trying to intimidate me by raising his voice, yep. by coming forward in his seat, yep. by getting right in my face. I did not, maybe I'm just a little dense, but I didn't think that I was actually in any physical danger. But in any case, I knew he was trying to intimidate me one way or another. So when he came forward in his seat, I came forward in mine. And now we were almost nose to nose, and I smiled at him. And that really set him off, yep. I think, A, because he thought it was impudent, but B, because his tactic was not working. And I think if you look back on this thing, the reason why most sane people think 
that if it was a debate that I wanted, wasn't so much from reading a transcript. It was from reading the body language. You know, very often it's it's kind of tone that mm-hmm. carries the day in television. Content matters for sure, sure. but tone carries the day. And you know, and he and he lost his stuff, and I didn't. Yeah, and I mean it's it's fascinating. I mean, in the same way of the Jim Rome and and Jim Everett thing, but I thought he you guys held it a little bit more and stayed in the interview a little bit more. And your job wasn't necessarily to provoke him in that moment, or you weren't necessarily trying to do that. You were just staying in a moment that he was trying to get you out of. You know, I'm going to take this opportunity. You mentioned it earlier that a podcast is different, and so that's why I have the liberty of answering at length here, and it's kind of liberating. Yeah. Um, it's amazing to me. You know, there was a 30 for 30 about the history of the XFL. Right. I was great. Forward, forward, and I enjoyed it too. And I thought Charlie Ebersol, Dick Ebersol's son did a wonderful job with it. And Matt Vaskirgen was terrific. And several of the contributors were terrific. And each and every one of them, bit by bit, little by little, confirmed everything about the XFL, which I had said from the jump. I remember being on Conan O'Brien's show when the league hadn't started yet, but the premise of it had been presented and some of the promos were running. And I said something like, you know, it must have been more than a decade ago that I first mused, why doesn't somebody take second-rate high school football and merge it with the Jerry Springer show? And then finally somebody took my idea and ran with it. Yeah. So I kind of saw it for what it was to begin with. All right. And then I answered Charlie Ebersol's questions. Mm-hmm. And anybody who knows how these things are put together knows you have no idea which of your remarks will be used. And right. you don't know how they'll be juxtaposed against other stuff. You're not in the same room at the same time right. as the other people being interviewed. And somehow some people's reaction to this was that I was some sort of uh, some sort of guy who was trying to uh, put a damper on everybody's fun, or I was an elitist, mm-hmm. and why don't I loosen up? Nonsensical. I, I had it right from the beginning, yep. and what I was doing on, on HBO with Vince McMahon is what I believe my job was, which was to ask him pertinent questions. How he responded to those pertinent questions was up to him. The tone of it was dictated by him and then by my response to what he said. And as I look back on it, I, I I don't know if Vince would change it, but I wouldn't. That's and that's the way we felt coming through. What an amazing to be able to sort of be in that realm. And I'm sure all your years of doing later prepared you to be face to face with someone and really get into their into their minds as you're asking the questions. And so all of that sort of the Malcolm Gladwellian ten thousand hours of experience, like you know, <laughs> in terms of like that whole thing of of knowing how to interview someone, it was all laid to bear in that moment. But to me, I thought that that has never left me. That interview was a fascinating, interesting interview. Another thing that you do really well that for us marks every single time that it comes around is the Olympics. And it are the Olympics and the Olympics for us. Mm -hmm. I mean, some of the best moments in the history of us sports were the Olympics. And, you know, I, to me, I think you do it with such class and grace every single time. Is even that if you, even if even with a horrible eye infection? Which again, the the fact <laughs> that your eye had its own Twitter account. How much did you love that on some level? I'm sure you didn't love the eye doing what it was doing to you, but the fact that it had a life of its own, I'm sure you did appreciate that. 
Well, I'm not much of a Twitter guy. I'm certainly not a social media guy, but I was aware um, that it kind of exploded and had a life of its own. <laughs> and from what I was able to see, no pun intended, <laughs> some of it was genuinely funny yep. and, and creative and good-natured. But again, in keeping with kind of the snarkiness and the, sure. the discourse all around us, which is descended, there's a big difference between irreverence and mean-spiritedness. Sure. There's a big difference between satire and snark. There really is. Yeah. There's a difference between David Letterman, Saturday Night Live, George Carlin, Chris Rock, and the worst guy on the morning zoo in Topeka. Yes. You know, there really is. And so what I found, like at this point, what, what are you going to do? Uh, I'm not going to worry about it. But no. when people some somehow tried to make it seem as if it was my fault, were they... <laughs> They posited ridiculous ideas about how I got pink eye, all of which were just nonsensical and untrue. Um, and sort of, and then said, "Well, I was so uh, so concerned with not giving up my quote Olympic throne yeah. that I that I kept." No, no. The, the reason why I stayed on the air as long as I could until my eyes became too sensitive to light, I just couldn't do the job anymore was that I felt it was my responsibility that yeah. people all around me had worked not just long hours in Sochi, but for months and years leading up to it to prepare, to produce pieces and whatnot. And so as a primetime host, you're carrying the ball for them. Believe me, I don't mean this to sound jaded or offhanded. That was my 11th Olympics. Yeah, that's I what I was going to say. I didn't need to do any more Olympics. In fact, I knew I was going to leave after the next one in Rio. I'd made that decision years before, and NBC knew it. We just never said anything about it until what we thought was the right time. I didn't need any more exposure on the Olympics, certainly not looking as ghastly as I looked, even though I tried <laughs> to hide it with, with glasses. Yeah. You know, I did it for a simple reason. <laughs> I don't deserve the Congressional Medal of Honor for it. It's what lots of people do, which is it's your job, and you try to do it as well as you can. If I'd had a broken leg, it would be in a cast at the end of the desk. No one would know. Yeah. If I had the flu and felt terrible, lots of us have gone to work feeling terrible, especially when it's an important thing and people are counting on you. If I'd been sick as a dog, but able to hide it, I would have shown up every day. But this was literally written on my face. Right. And there was nothing I could do about it. What would, I think it comes from an old school attitude. It was like what our dad used to tell us when we would play sports is you kind hey of guys, you play hurt. This yeah. is this, guys, this is a podcast. And so you're gonna talk you guys are more than capable of treading water for a moment while I get rid of this call, but I have to take it. Take I'm it. so sorry. No, do it, do it, do it. We're good. I mean, fastest. Okay, while well, Bob takes that phone call, which is great. It's yes. perfect time. We can take a little bit of a break, uh, and then we'll come back with our version of Quick Hits with Bob Katzis. There are three things that I want, desperately want his take on. Yes. Number one, he's a St. Louis guy, and he knows St. Louis, and he called the ABA in St. Louis. With so St. Louis why haven't there been an NBA franchise And will there ever be an NBA franchise? We'll ask him about that. Number two, let's ask him about the uh, Olympics and the fact that the Russians aren't there. What, we don't have an enemy. Is that good? Is that bad? And, and thirdly, we'll, let, we'll get his opinion on the steroid era being represented in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Back with more view from the cheap seats after this. Introducing the new Verizon Business Unlimited plans. Now you can pick a plan for as low as thirty dollars a month per line with AutoPay. 
Get 5G nationwide, plus massive data capacity, plus spam blocking features. And with Verizon Business Unlimited, you can mix and match the right plans for your business so you get more of what you need and none of what you don't. From Verizon, the network businesses rely on. 5G nationwide available in 1,800 plus cities on most VZ 5G devices. Monthly per line pricing with 5 plus lines on Biz Unlimited Start. Device payment, smartphone purchase, auto pay, and paper free billing required. Terms apply. Support for this podcast comes from WGU. Do you want a more skilled and effective workforce? Do you want to build loyalty and increase employee retention? A partnership with Western Governors University could be exactly what you need. Over 300 organizations nationwide already count on WGU for valuable education benefits that lead to better prepared and more capable workers. With more than 60 accredited bachelor's and master's programs to choose from and shorter credential programs coming soon, WGU has long been a leader in making quality higher education more accessible. Flexible online learning is the key. Students can fit schooling around their existing schedules and even complete courses and degrees sooner than planned. WGU makes earning a respected degree possible with just a computer and an internet connection. Partner with WGU today to make a smart investment in your company's and employees' future. Learn more at wgu.edu slash partnerships. That's wgu.edu slash partnerships. All right, welcome back to the show. More right now with Bob Costas. So, uh, you know, we want to talk about just three current things that are sort of going on in the world of sports and get your take on it because we're, again, fascinated. This has been so interesting and we could talk to you forever. But uh, just talk about three different things. Now, we're from St. Louis and Mm -hmm. uh, you live for many years in St. Louis called the ABA, the St. Louis Spirit Games in St. Louis. The great, I put in quotes, Marvin Barnes, who was great some nights and other nights he wasn't. But what do you think the NBA, which I think is the league that is probably in the best shape of all professional sports right now. Do mm-hmm. you think there's ever a shot of an NBA team in St. Louis? Or why not. hasn't there? Why, why has that not come up? You know, I used to ask David Stern about that. I haven't broached the subject with Adam Silver in recent years. And David showed little interest and the league showed little interest in a return to St. Louis. When the Hawks were playing there in the Bob Pettit days in the 50s and into the 60s, mm-hmm. St. Louis was probably among the 10 most populous cities in the United States. When I got there in 1974, I think it ranked 18th. Now it's gone much further down the list. And although there is interest in basketball uh, in St. Louis, it's not as strong as some other places. So the market is not big enough for NBA owners to covet it. And St. Louis may be viewed, whether fairly or not, may be viewed better as a city that um, will always have its baseball team and will always have a rabid and uh, profitable uh, fan base, profitable for the team, for the NHL, for the Blues. And that's probably as far as it goes. I've never heard any talk in NBA circles outside scattered basketball fans in St. Louis of a return. I just don't think it'll ever happen. Does I, it, any more likely than a baseball team back in Brooklyn. Does it have to do with the racial issues that have come up in St. Louis and the fact that St. Louis is pretty still pretty much a segregated city geographically still? I think that might I think that certainly had something to do with it in the 70s mm-hmm. when the spirits left. Mm-hmm. And I think those circumstances don't help in the present, but I think really it's just more of a practical um, population size, city size, market size, TV market thing yeah. um, 
there, there are there are others. If, if teams were to move or if they were to expand, I think there are other cities that would be looked at first. I think we would get a soccer team in the MLS first, especially given— That makes more sense. Sure. I think St. Louis being a soccer town in many ways um, would support that, would support that. That makes sense. Sure. And the wave of the MLS as well, sort of picking cities like Portland, Oregon, and which, by the way, great city, but still size-wise maybe compares to St. Louis more. So maybe in the future St. Louis gets a a team. All right. Uh, I want to talk about the Olympics coming up and the fact no Russians— does that, I, I feel like the United States needs a natural enemy, and Russia couldn't be more of an enemy despite what our current administration is saying. Uh, does it hurt that like we don't have this sort of natural enemy to go against? Or not enemy, but you know you can build up these storylines outside of the games themselves. Yeah. Does, does it hurt not having that opposing force there? Back in the heyday of ABC's Olympics, there was no question that there was a cold water, a cold water. I didn't mean that. I cold, cold war. war. Yeah. <laughs> I'm throwing cold water on your program, by being <laughs> yeah. no uh, there was, there was a cold war, uh, subtext to a lot of, uh, what ABC was able to present natural rivalry. Um, and I guess maybe some of that played out in, in Sochi where it's dubious that an Olympics was even held to yeah. begin with. Yeah. Uh, I, I think now, the bigger factors for television viewership have to do with fragmentation of the audience mm-hmm. and the people's ability to access it in so many different ways. Even if NBC does the best possible job production-wise um, in South Korea, it's just a different landscape. Mm-hmm. There's just two, there's, there's more things chipping away at mass audiences than ever before. Totally. Maybe they just have to readjust their expectations of what they're going to get and still see it as a success. And I think being able to present it on multiple formats, digitally, events, that kind of thing, they'll see that they're maybe getting a similar number of eyes. It's just not all going to be on the television set. Yeah, I I believe that's how they'll present it. That when they cobble everything together, the streaming, uh, the various platforms, because NBC has multiple platforms inaccessible at any other traditional broadcast network has CNBC, uh, MSNBC, NBCSN, Telemundo, yep. et cetera, et cetera. So if you want it from the most obscure sports to uh, major sports that may be on at an odd time of the day, but if it suits you, you, you can find it somehow. It's not the way it once was. Yeah. All right. And finally, I want to ask you again, because you are still traveling in, in baseball circles as we prepare for, the potential voting of of Hall of, Fa- of the Hall of Fame for this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, when when do you think we will sort of, I not say move past the steroid era, but kind of put a, a a cap on it and start letting some of those guys in? Or is there a different solution? Should there? We've been to Cooperstown. Should there be another wing that that literally? It's like the asterisk wing or something that says, hey, here's what these guys did against each other during this period of time. Can't compare it to everybody, but how do you think it's going to be handled in the years to come? Well, the hall actually is not just ideally, but it functions as both a museum and a shrine. So while you wouldn't put at the bottom of Barry Bonds' plaque, I wouldn't think, assuming he gets elected someday, um, widely believed to abuse performance-enhancing drugs. You wouldn't put that on there? No, 
I that would that would be represented elsewhere and prominently right. in the museum. Right. You know, people who visit Cooperstown don't only walk through the hall of those enshrined with the plaques on the wall. There are there are a lot of areas throughout the museum that chronicle the game's history, including the Black Sox scandal, including sure. segregation, everything, uh, the good and the bad. It's more good than bad, but the bad is acknowledged. The history of the game is acknowledged. And so when, when baseball finally cracked down, belatedly, they did crack down, both in terms of testing and how rigorously they went after, including uh, outside testing, like the biogenesis thing, yep. was a so-called non-analytic uh, discovery. Mm-hmm. And people like Alex Rodriguez were caught up in it. Um, when when they became uh, when they became more vigilant about policing it, and when the penalties became more severe, I don't say that they've eliminated PED use, but they've substantially reduced it. And those who are using PEDs are not using the full blown stuff that was available in the Wild West days of the '90s and at the turn of the century that could practically turn a player into a, a cyborg. Right. But when that happened, I said at that time. The thing is not behind us because the Hall of Fame matters more with all due respect to other sports. It matters more in baseball than any other sport. That's right. It sparks more debates and conversation among fans Mm -hmm. than any other sport. And so eventually, players who have played in that era, not just those who played dirty, but those who played clean. Everyone assumes, as do I, that Fred McGriff played clean. Right. He's not getting a fair shake because his numbers are up against those who played perhaps at an advantage, you know, so it's going to be a long time, as I said, then, and we're seeing now a long time before they can truly put it behind them because the game's history and generational comparisons and the record book matter more in baseball than in any other sport. If you say to a football fan, how many yards did Emmett Smith have? How many touchdown passes did Dan Marino throw? What was Jim Brown's record before Walter Payton went past it? How many touchdown passes did Fran Tarkenton have? Yeah. They may call themselves huge football fans. They don't know the answer to that. Most most fans don't know that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar scored more points than Michael Jordan. That's right. You know? That's right. And so did Carl Malone. Yes, that's right as well. They, they don't take straight games. If you say 714, yeah. you know, what's interesting, 714, 755, I think fewer people know 762 because they know it's bogus. Right. So it doesn't matter as much. It's just a statistical achievement. It's not really uh, an authentic record. Um, so when given the differences between baseball and other sports, it's going to be a long time before this gets put behind us. But the way the voting is now trending, although I don't think that Clemens and Bonds will get in this year, we're going to see a very large Hall of Fame class. Yep, you will. Trammell and Morris have already been elected by the Veterans Committee. That's right. I think as many as five, maybe even six other players could go in this year. And Bonds and Clemens will move closer. Some writers will make them sweat right till the end. But they'll make eventually, when, eventually. They, yeah. I mean, the, the, the crazy Hopefully thing. Hopefully Jose Okendo before them. Yeah, Jose Okendo us. should that's go in as journey. the greatest utility man of all time. <laughs> or at least as you helped us do our special there, get a plaque of him hung on the utility closet in Cooperstown. But I, I, the thing about Bonds, and, this, and we'll wrap it up with this, and, and you tell me if you agree with this. If he hadn't have touched anything, if he hadn't had gotten greedy, yeah. he would have been a three 
3,000 hit guy, phenomenal defensive guy. Maybe, 500 stolen bases. Maybe four or 500 stolen bases. 500 yep. home runs. Maybe four or 500 home runs. For, like Griffey Jr., first ballot Hall of Famer, 97%. Yep. No question. Goes down as this generation's Willie McCovey. This generation's, and I'm not going to say Willie Mays, but he goes down as one of the best players of our generation and one of the best yeah. of all time. And yet yep. he he needed that little bit extra more to beat out McGuire and Sosa in the moment and look what it did to him. And I guess that's yeah. the tragedy. That That's exactly my take on it, and with all due respect to Willie McCovey, who's a deserving Hall of Famer, Bonds was way better than that. You can make a case for Barry Bonds, pre-steroids, mm-hmm. as best we can determine when that was, late 1990s, right. pre-steroids, Barry Bonds was probably, all things properly considered, one of the dozen or so best non-pitchers who ever played. Yep. And had he retired with, as you say, 500-some home runs or whatever, he would actually be held in extraordinarily high public esteem. That despite the fact that he wasn't always the most friendly and welcoming guy. Right. You know, he could be a difficult guy and sometimes had trouble with teammates and certainly had trouble with the press. You know, if you just took a look at his achievements and they were natural achievements and he was that great a player, uh, he, he might, he would sit in a much better place in the public mind than he sits now, no matter what records he may hold. So you say to yourself and to anybody out there, to me, that's the cautionary tale. And I would love to me, I would love it. And then we'll go on this. If Barry Bonds would admit to things, apologize and be the person to walk out there and say, this wasn't worth it for me. I could have had everything that you just described, Bob, and and I didn't have it because I chose to get just a 10 percent better. If that. Yeah, I know. I think he got more. I think he got more than 10 percent better. If you take a look at a guy who had a lifetime slugging percentage of under 560 through like 13, 14 years, a very good slugging percentage, but under 560, and then twice slugged over 800 in a season, another season slugged 799, who literally more than doubled his career home run rate prior to that time. He got more than 10% better. You're right. He, He went into the stratosphere. He went from a truly great, all time great player to a superhuman player. Yep. And that's the part about this that a lot of people just can't come to terms with. They say, they're trying to make it as if it's a moral, a moral question. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you know, guys cheated in every era. Absolutely they did. Some guys took amphetamine. Absolutely they did. And where is the gross distortion of performance? Yeah. Where was the gross distortion of great performance it's a great during argument. the Greeny era? Yep. Or from guys throwing spitballs or stealing signs or corking back? It, it's it's the steroid era where you get this ridiculous blip on the radar screen that can't be explained in any other way, even though during the steroid era, yes, there were a couple of expansions. Yes, new ballparks were built that were, generally speaking, hitter-friendly. Yes, there were newer and harder maple bats that may have helped. Yes, there was legitimate weight training and legitimate increases in strength. But all those things have applied to varying degrees since then, but things have settled down. Totally. Yeah, so great, yeah, absolutely. Hey, Bob Costas, thank you so much for joining us. This was really a treat for us. We owe you a meal at Ragazzi's in St. Louis if we can take you out sometime. That would be I, a joy. I accept. And then, and at, at dinner, I'll let you guys do all the talking. You know, I'm hanging up now with a concern that my answers were not expansive enough. Ah, <laughs> I love it. We can always give you steroids <laughs> to expand them. Uh, thank, <laughs> thank you so much, and keep doing what you do, and we will always keep being a fan of yours. Thanks so much, Bob. Thank you, guys. Take care. Right, Talk bye-bye. Soon. Bye. Wow. Stop! 
All right, there you have it. There we go. Bob Costas, unbelievable. I'm so, what a treat this was for us. Huge treat. Uh, when we come back on the other side of this break, I don't know if it's going to be a treat, well, but we're going to talk to him. Steven Seagal, I'm sure he found, got wind that we talked to Costas, and I'm sure he wants to get in on a little bit of that Costas he probably wants juice. a ride home. Oh, oh, God. We'll be back with more View from the Chiefs. It's right after this. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Bob Costas, how about that? Uh, unbelievable. I mean, dream come true, maybe, Jay? Well, your dream is about to become a, a nightmare. nightmare. <laughs> yes, because our next guest on the show is someone who pops in occasionally. Uh, he showed up on our doorstep uh, wanting to talk to us, I guess, about the Olympics. He is Steven Seagal, and he has a pitch for us. Steven, I mean, I guess, Steven, welcome. Welome to the show. Yeah, I'm not going to thank you. Stop. Kone. No. No. Those aren't words. No. 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 I'm not going to take a. We don't have a lot of time. We don't have a lot of time today, buddy. So, I don't know. I don't have a lot of minutes on my card. All right. I know you don't. You know what I'm saying? What are you pitching us? I use singular one. Do you do stop? Are you a cricket wireless guy? Is that a cheaper? Nope. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, I'm sure it's more of a chirper. <laughs> we, <laughs> chirper is not a thing. We we just had Bob Costas on the show. Uh, I know him very well. You, I, I doubt don't know you if do. You know him very yes, well, but we, maybe he knows him. I beat him up once. No, I did too. I beat him up. It's a, there's a bar in the valley. It's no. Studio City called no. Chimney Sweep. He's not I don't from think he's here. ever been there. So you, the you accepts, hey, that's what he said his name was. Is there any message you want to give to Bob Costas, or, or if he listens? You said to you this? want to say something to him about the Olympics. Here's your chance. I to would get. like to tell him, would he consider bringing me on to cover the Olympics? No, I could no talk way. taekwondo, judo, yeah. boxing, mm. fencing. Yep. Any form of martial arts. Okay, any right. form of combat, you can handle that. Yeah, the one where they uh, ski and then shoot stuff. Biathlon. The Gina Lee, uh, Gina Lee Davis one. No, no, that's, no that's not it. Yeah, she shot stuff when she skied. Maybe. I think I'd be very good at it. All right. I've also, if not for him, I will. I, this is a warning to Bob Costas. No, it's just Costas. That I, Costas. I will be competing against. He will have competition for me because I will be doing. All of the coverage for the Russians. Oh, in the Olympics, Russia okay. not not invited. Yeah, uh, they weren't invited this year. There was uh, a huge doping, doping scandal. Do yeah. you think needing an invitation to stop me from <laughs> any showing buffet? Up at that is yeah. true. Wedding, that is true. Retirement party. That's a good point. That's a good uh, salsa bar. So you think the Russians are coming, and you're going to cover it no matter what? Let me ask you this, uh, my friends. Uh, okay, put that in quotes. You honestly think the Russians won't find a way to infiltrate this? That's Olympics. a great point. It's a great point. That is a great point. Because if they're you pretty are much a, capable of anything, if you are a Russian mm. pretending to be a Norwayman, that's not the word. Yes, it is. Norwegian. A, a Norwayman. Nope. If yes, if you are a Russian and you win under their banner, uh-huh. you still. How are you pronouncing win these words? The gold as a Russian, mm-hmm. and you no, can tell you people don't. later. A Russian did it. No. Konnichiwa. Okay. And Thank then you, you got him. Okay, Steve. No, I Thanks. don't think a Russian Thanks, would say... A Russian posing as a Norwegian... You're not going to carry, carry the, the torch. torch. I'm carry the torch through. No. I'm going to start at North Korea, mm-hmm. run through North Korea. No, you're not going to run anywhere with that torch. Like, you're right. That's true. You'll take a I will walk, walk at my own run. pace, yeah, as I have earned for being a celebrity uh, movie star in martial arts with also, 19 I don't know confirmed kills last year. What? So... 
I will then last year, hand it off to, to someone in the DMZ. I will carry the torch for two reasons. One, I'm a global icon mm. that people respect. Mm-hmm. Two, I need the warmth. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I will go where the heat is and where the food is. Fine. You will find we'll talk to Fine. We'll talk to Casas and see if that's a possibility. Thanks, In the you. meantime, you don't smell that good. You need a shower, dude. I- I'm serious. I don't. That's not me. That's prepackaged meat that okay. I have not been able to refrigerate. Get out. Get him out. Right. I'll Get wait out front for a ride. Nope. I'll let you give me a ride. Nope. Okay. Right. Kanichiwa. 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 All right. There you go. Steve All right. Seagal. Thanks, bud. No, they cannot. Steve Siegel. Don't do it. Do not give him a ride. Steve Siegel. Um, okay. There, there you go. That's it. Show. Costas. That's this, the is, show. this is the song that Bob Costas listens to every night before Just to he goes get him to sleep. psyched up to do the Olympics. Uh, what a great show. Bob Costas, Steven Seagal. What a treat this was. Hope you guys Costas. enjoyed it. not Seagal. Yeah, exactly. Costas, not Seagal. Punch uh, Waterfalls. We're the Sklar Brothers. Uh, tune in next week. We'll have another great guest on View from the Chief Seats. I'm a pull up on the skateboard with me a key hose. Go still pay me attention.